0: Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. We are the Thinking Fans podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. Join the tribe. The revolution will be televised and podcasted. My name is Chris Mumford, a professor of innovation at UNC Chapel Hill. I'm joined by philosopher coach Scott Martin in Charlotte, Sam the Man Leverage in Madrid, and mind reader Alex Comissa in our Raleigh Bureau. This week, we are going to preview the Grand Derby, chat about how Real Madrid, love them or hate them, are getting on, and preview, or precog, the weekend matches. Oh my, football is back. Two points separate the top two teams, and one point separates who gets the final Champions League spot. Let's get ready to rumble. So let's start to chat about the restart. Sam, can you help us find the signal and the noise with the Sevilla derby?
1: Yeah, so the the Grande derby, is a big game to restart La Liga. It's two of La Liga's biggest teams in terms of history, and it's one of the most passionate derbies that you'll find in Spain as well. Fans go crazy for it, and... And this will be an exciting one as well. So we have a lot to play for. They're pushing into the top three in La Liga, which has kind of been their goal for, for quite a few years now. And Betis, on the other hand, have had a dreadful season, really performing below expectations. So they come into this one knowing that, that both teams need a win if they're going to keep their fans happy, even if it is with no fans in the stadium, of course, with all games being played behind closed doors.
0: Well, so let's talk a little bit about the so, tactics of, of Sevilla and, and Betis. What do you see happening, Sam?
1: So I think the main factor that's going to decide this one is going to be with the width. And I mean, we look at this picture here, it's a perfect example of how Sevilla use their wing-backs and their full-backs. So kind of Jesus Navas on the right and Sergio Reguilon on the left. They're really keys to their play and they help to stretch the game quite a lot. Sevilla don't like to keep the ball centrally for too long. They prefer to shift it wide and they're actually putting more crosses than any other team. And Jesus Navas is putting more crosses than any other player. And so they really do use that width. And then they look to get the ball into their target men in the middle, whether it's Luke, De Jong, or Yusuf and, they, and they do have those two kind of traditional number nines that, that are waiting in the box for those crosses in.
0: So how do you see this game playing out, Tam?
1: I think it'll be quite a tight affair. I mean, Betis don't score too many goals. They've got quite a few decent attacking players in their squads, Sergio Gonales, Navier Fekir. Jorge Iglesias, Lorde Maron, but they haven't had great form this season. And equally, for Sevilla, they don't score too many goals, especially at home. They've struggled in, in the last few weeks before the break. So it'll be intriguing to see how the, the empty stands affects the game, whether that will kind of take some of the energy out of it. But it might actually help Sevilla to to focus more on their play rather than the atmosphere. And I think Sevilla will have just about enough to see it through. I mean, I think it'll be tight, whether it's 1-0, 2-1, but I do think that it'll be Sevilla who come out on top.
0: So Scott, what does Batiste have to do to come up with the surprise result?
2: Well, so I think they will have to have Fakir and, and Joaquin uh, pinning back the Sevilla fullbacks, uh, making sure that they are at least starting from uh, deeper positions, maybe even joining the play a little bit later than, than they would like. So managing the width, Trying to pin back those those two fullbacks will be key. Uh, the other thing, you know, since Sevilla does send so many crosses, I think their ability to to cover the the very center of the goal, um, that that zone 17, that'll be crucial to their success. So they'll need to have at least three players in the box uh, as they defend the crosses. Sevilla is very good at getting numbers in. So I think that'll be key for for Betis to to limit the damage and and try to get out with a result. Alex,
0: as as a player, uh, what's your sense of them restarting the season number one? But they're restarting the season with with a derby. What what's your take on that?
3: Derbies are
0: interesting from a player
3: perspective. Um, you know, you're. You're taught, you're raised to treat every game the same, but we are emotional creatures, right? So when you come up against your arch rival, you know, you kind of, you, you really want to get into them that much more. You really want to, as a defender myself, you know, make the tackle that much harder. You know, there's pride on the line. Regularly you're in the same, in the same area, in the same city. So the pressure from fans is, is extraordinary. So, yeah, it would be a lie to tell you that players don't think about derbies like this.
0: Good. Well, thanks Thanks for sharing that. Let's move on to Real Madrid. Uh, they've got an interesting match coming up. Uh, Scott, can you elaborate on that, please? Yes.
2: Yeah, so when looking at Real Madrid, you know, we kind of want to take a look at the, the whole tactical, uh, tactical picture uh, with this Podcast, and I think when you look at this team, the way it's constructed, the, the number of goals they're conceding, uh, the fact that they have the fewest expected goals against in all of Europe, that tells you, uh, you know, exactly what the foundation of this team is. It's it's the defense. So this team does like to get players high up the pitch. They do tend to the fullbacks uh, rather high, especially on the left hand side. You'll, you'll tend to see Marcelo and Mendy. Uh, whichever the two is starting, move pretty high up the pitch while Carvajal plays the balance between joining the attack and, and offering support for the center backs. So when, when you look at this team, um, you know, especially, I think it was really illustrated well in the match against Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid was sitting in their deep block. Uh, so within that low block, they were able to win the ball of Toni Kroos. And instantly they were looking to counterattack. So, with that counter attack, uh, five players from Atletico Madrid immediately shot up the field. The issue was that Real Madrid had four players uh, in Wisconsin, that center part of the pitch. So, what you'll tend to see as Madrid build up is Ferran and Ramos are very deep outlets. If the team needs to recycle play, they can always play back. Cruz is that, that Regista type on the left hand side. Um, you'll find him in that that left half space, looking to play over or through defenses. Casemiro just roams the right side. So when they do lose the ball, they, can, they already have numbers in place to, to funnel opponents out wide. They've taken away the middle. And now um, with the middle secure, they can afford to be a little bit more aggressive to go pressing the wings. And they have I think most importantly, they've forced the opponents to, to take a little more time in the attack. And that allows the fullbacks, uh, that that right side of midfielder, to get back, get their defensive shape, and uh, stave off any danger.
0: So, Alex, they have Real Madrid has one of the most expensive backlines in in Europe. But that being said, it still seems like the sum is greater than the parts. Can you help elaborate, maybe a, little, a bit on the the dynamics and versus the individual play?
3: Right. So, I think Scott's point here about how good they are centrally is spot on. I mean, this cruz casemiro ramos Ferran box, that is, by the way, fluid, so they move it around to try to cut off passing lanes to allow their very aggressive nature to be shown. Super, super, super critical. This square really allows their fullbacks to get high, as Scott mentioned, and they're so good at collapsing space centrally. In particular, Varane and Ramos' partnership is just elite. You know, They both naturally want play to happen in front of them. But what's really interesting is that they're so good at having play in front of them, but their recovery pace is excellent so that anything played in behind is not an issue. So their recovery speed is incredible, especially Varane. And this gives them confidence to play very aggressively, whether it's the play happens in front of them, that's fine. Casemiro will come back. Cruz will come back and back race. If it's in behind, sure. Let's have a race. Let's see how fast you are. Let's see if you really want to, to try to outpace us back there. So yeah, there's, they're, they're elite defensively. Like you said, the sum is greater than just the individuals. So there's a reason why they are
0: where they are. Super. S- Sam, give us your take on what, what you see with Real Madrid, what, what stands out with you?
1: Yes, yeah, so we kind of just touched on the defensive role of the, the midfield three. And then also here, I mean, you can see a bit more the, the offensive side of things. So as soon as the ball is turned over, especially against teams who don't play in such a low block, you can see the likes of Modric and Valverde who really look to spring and make that forward run and get forward as quickly as they can. I mean, that's been the big change this season, I think, with Valverde kind of breaking into the team. Last season, we saw that the midfield was very slow it was very stodgy almost and how they kind of turned the ball over and and started to move up the pitch this season that's really changed with Valverde he's really been able to kind of bring back the Modric a few years ago almost very similar role in that he can pick up the ball and carry it 30 40 yards and I think that's given another dimension to Real Madrid I think that's something that they will look to see in the years ahead and, and what that means for Modric I mean he still has a role at the moment kind of in against those teams with a lower block where it's kind of more his precision passing and his creativity in that sense. I think Valverde's legs mean that that he's starting to overtake Modric a little bit.
0: Interesting. So, Coach Scott, take us back a little bit and and let's talk about some of the distribution, particularly as it comes from from the back line in terms of initiating the attack. Can you elaborate on that, please?
2: Yeah. So, in the, the match against Real Sociedad, We saw an example where Sociedad was in a middle block. They really wanted to try and take away the distribution ability of Ramos and Cruz on that left-hand side. So that's really vital to to playing against Madrid. You can't give those two time on the Passing is just phenomenal. Um, Through lines, very comfortable distributing, and the team does like to target that left-hand side in the build-up. So as the team gets the ball to that left-hand side, what you'll tend to see is the, uh, the three Real Madrid forwards plus that right-sided midfielder moving higher up the pitch. Typically what you'll see is Benzema will slide over to his left-hand side. He'll get fairly close to his left-sided forward. And then on the other side of the right forward and that right-sided attacking midfielder who are paired up so one of the interesting trends you see with Madrid is that they do tend to play with high pairs up the field. And as you know, like Sam was saying with uh, Valverde, with his ability to cover ground uh, and, and also his size, that gives Real Madrid um, two really nice targets high up the pitch when they do have a little more room to exploit and behind the, the back line. So with those two pairs, between the the half spaces you tend to see the, the wings open up for those two pullbacks. So Car- Carvajal tends to play a little more conservative role, again, finding that balance between attacking and defense. But you do see Marcelo and Mindy push up pretty high at the pitch to to provide the width. So that's only established with the the presence of those, those four players in the central channel in the half spaces. So... When Madrid goes up against a, a middle block, where as they're looking to, to build out, connect the lines, look for Cruz and Ramos to play a crucial role, either playing over or through defenses, uh, but also those, those forwards offering high targets.
0: Good. Alex, you play a fair bit at center back. What's, what's your take on what, how they execute this, and what do, you, what do you get out of seeing them play? Right. So the paint
3: picture we've painted here is one that demonstrates how confident, just how confident the Real Madrid players are with Varane or Ramos's distribution. You know, essentially all the midfielders are super high. The fullbacks are, are very wide. And with one pass, they can eliminate the forward and midfield line. That is super, super valuable and extremely dangerous because all of a sudden you create one-on-one situations, two on two situations, maybe overloads on, on the on the wide spots. And and Ramos and Varan can hit these balls right or left. Ramos in particular, Scott mentioned Kroos and Ramos both love to, you know, open up from the left to the right and hit a long diagonal to a Carvajal who's running all the way up the right sided Uh, Part of the pitch, and it is just—it just seems super easy for them. And it's one of my favorite balls personally as a center back. You know, I play a little bit of center back, and it's one of my favorite balls to go from left to right because I'm right-footed. It's easier for me to open up my shoulders to see the cues in my in my peripheral vision to see a right winger to see a right back just making that run. Once you see that movement and your eyes pick up on it, you can just easily turn your shoulders and hit a perfect ball that way. And Ramos is, is special at doing that.
0: So if we were to put you on the spot, Scott, what, where, where do you see this game? How's it going to end up?
2: So I don't see Ibar scoring. Um, they would have to get the goal against the run of play, which, I mean, again, Real Madrid is pretty well suited to defending against that. So if they can score... Uh, which has been an issue for Madrid since December fifteenth. Their xG per ninety is at a you know, pretty average one point three eight, or you know at least uh, below par for Real Madrid. So I do see them coming away with the win, uh, or two goals, but I I think that also will depend on that does help them out pretty significantly. So in the games that Real Madrid has um, had Hazard on the left-hand side, Real Madrid with Hazard, but minus his first four games of the season as he was adapting to the squad, that number jumps up to 2.46, which is unreal. Yeah. So if he's available, I think he works off of Benzema really well. Uh, I could see that the game getting uh, away from Ibar quickly. If you do have a player like Vinicius Jr., who you know while a talented player maybe doesn't quite fit very well with benzema um you know maybe a, a lower scoreline one goal mark
0: okay um sam do you you concur i mean what, what what would it take for ibar to pull a what seems to be a almost insurmount, insurmountable or inachievable upset
1: i think it's very difficult for i mean if we're going to try and look on the positive side for ibar we can can look at when they played against Atletico Madrid earlier in the season at the Wanda Metropolitana. So again against a team that had a a very low expected goals against and you're thinking how are I we're gonna gonna find a way through and they scored twice. Unfortunately they did then go and throw it away and lose three two, but they did score the first two goals and, and take that lead. So I think they'll really have their work out. I mean they do often struggle against these big teams. We've seen them only a few weeks before the break, they got thrashed by Barcelona, I think it was five or six 0 and I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar result this time out there. Okay. They're usually typically quite defensively strong and they press high, but I just don't think they've got the quality in their side to be able to press high against a team like Real Madrid.
2: They'll just walk it around them and, and find a way through. Yeah, and okay. that was really the issue against Barcelona. They tried to play in a metal block, and Barcelona carved up the space behind them. So yeah. I'd, I'd imagine they're going to play in a four-four-two, uh sitting in those two banks of four, if they've learned their lesson, I think they'll sit a little further back in the low block, but um, yeah, if they opt for the the middle block, this, this game could get ugly.
1: Yeah. yeah and Levi doesn't seem to change often.
0: I tell you, I, I'm really struck by how Real Madrid has one of the best defenses in Europe in terms of goals against, expected goals against, and from a an offensive perspective, they've kind of hit, hit the mark more or less. Uh, It's just that one other team that starts with a B has just so wildly outperformed expected goals. And that's from a gentleman whose name starts with an M right. Um, But what's going to be interesting is only two points separate Barcelona and Real Madrid. And you've got some folks coming back from Real Madrid uh, in terms of injuries. You've got Messi that's injured uh, let's hope for not too long, but uh, I think this is going to really tee up for an interesting um, uh, final um, in terms of which one of those two teams come out on top. Um, so yeah, so so we'll see where that goes us goes. Um, Alex, can you tell us a little bit about the? Speaking of Barcelona, the the Barca and the Mallorca match.
3: Right. Uh, so Setien's side is, like you said, top of La Liga, two points above Madrid. And the speculation this week has been all about Messi. You know, is Messi out with an injury? Is it bad? How bad is it? Is it OK? And he trained today, actually. Huh? So it seems it seems that he could potentially play this weekend against Mallorca. Um Probably, in my opinion, we'll play the second half along with Luis Suarez. I don't think both those players will start the game. You know, we'll, we will see. Umtiti will come in and replace Quimau Lingley. Uh He is suspended, as I understand. Uh, the, we'll see the partnership between Umtiti and PK, as we debated in our, last, uh, in our last podcast in episode one. Is Artur or is Vidal going to play? Um, Alba will probably play over Fierpo. And the training atmosphere and the morale is pretty high. It's been at a pretty high level um, consistently throughout this this tough period of COVID. So, you know, f- from Barca's perspective, I think they're looking to, to pick thing- pick up where things left off. Because you, you got Real Madrid coming up right behind them. Now for Mallorca, uh, Vicente Moreno's side is a tough team to play, especially when they are home. Their away form is atrocious, atrocious, the worst in the league, actually, by far. Um, And they will particularly feel happy uh, or excited that there's a potential that Messi won't play. That shouldn't really change the way they approach this game. Um, They beat Madrid 1-0 from a beautiful goal from Lago Junior at home. They beat Valencia 4-1 at home, which was very impressive. So And they're also in the relegation zone. So they really, really need some points. They, they need to get a result against Barcelona. And there's a couple of players that could help them do that, you know, along with the defensive collective performance. There's a couple key attacking players. One of those players is the young Japanese Takefusa Kubo and the Croatian up top, Ante Budimir. So Kubo is a former Barcelona Academy player, interestingly enough. Signed for Real Madrid, he's out out on loan at Mallorca. Um, He just came off a man of a match performance against Ibar right before COVID happened, so he seemed to be finding his form just a little bit. He shows flashes of talent here and there, but he does have irregular game time. Out of 25 appearances for Mallorca, just 14 of them have been starts, and he's only completed the full 90 minutes on 10 separate occasions. So he loves coming in from the right wing with his brilliant left foot um, in that 4-3-3 or 4-4-2 formation. And his dribbling ability is underrated. So only four players have completed uh, successful dribbles in La Liga, and only four players have had more successful dribbles than him. That's Messi, Vinicius, and Eden Hazard. So he's ranked as number four there. So he's gifted technically. He's got a ton of pace. Drilling success rate at 55.7%, which is which is pretty big. And specifically, he's going to be key to a counterattack that Mallorca will start. You know, I assume that they will be absorbing a lot of pressure defensively, and he's going to be a key outlet out wide. And if he has time and space to get his head up, to turn, and to dribble at the back line, he can really cause issues for Barcelona. That's a big if. Umtiti is very good at at stepping up and closing down space. But we will see. We will know that he for sure that he's going to play a key role though, if Mallorca does pull the upset.
0: Super. Uh, So Sam, let's turn our attention to Athletic Bilbao and Atletico Madrid. Um, What's your take on how that game, what should we be looking for?
1: Yeah, so it'll be an interesting one because they're two teams who are very strong defensively and not so good in attack, so it's very much a tactical battle that they'll be looking to exploit. And I think the real target for Athletic who will definitely look to try and get the Atletico defence will be to focus on, on Atletico's left hand side. So Renan Llo- the left back, who's still in his first season in La Liga and he's done quite well. But defensively he's had a few issues sometimes he gets full- forward and, and doesn't back in time and and with Atletico, they've chopped and changed their defence quite a bit this season because of injuries. So, whether that means that there'll be some spaces open for Athletics to extend, and they'll be happy to do that. I mean, they've got Iñaki Munyayin, and then they've got Iñaki Williams as well. And then they also have Ander Kappa right back, who, who's shown that he can bring quite a lot to their attacking play. So, if there are spaces that Renan Loli leaves in behind, then I think Athletic will definitely be looking to exploit that.
0: Super. Um, Scott, what's your take? What would Athletic Bilbao have to do to really turn this into a game?
2: Well, so I, I agree with Sam. This, this will be a very defensive battle. Um, both teams tend to play uh, a little more direct. They will look to, to progress through the wings um, you know, if they need to, but um, we have very direct teams. I think for Bilbao to have success, uh, there might have to be a, a goal off of a set piece. Um, they're not the most proficient team higher up the pitch, and Aki Williams really has underperformed this season. So it's tough to see them having a lot of success against that that uh, Atletico back line. Um, but, yeah, you, you just got to think that for them, success... Um, you know, whether that's getting a, a point or all three, it'll we'll first start with um, just solid defense, just, you know, as, as is in their character. And then um, really capitalizing on the few opportunities they will have going forward. Okay. What's
0: your prediction on the scoreline?
2: Zero, zero. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good, exciting score. Pretty- Sam, do you have a, a counter view on that?
1: no i think athletic will probably scrape it they're good at home and let away from home aren't so good and i think let without Jao felix and then her career it's a big play for them so i reckon one nil one nil or two nil maybe even for athletic
0: uh, it's gotta be a four four thriller man <laughs> <laughs> that's an ambitious uh forecast right there i love it these are my um, money's in. so sam tell us about uh, this is going to be an interesting battle here uh Laganes and Valladolid. Uh, what's what? Why are, why should we pay attention to this match? And what do you think's going to happen?
1: Well, it's a real six-pointer in the relegation battle. When I mean, we looked at Mallorca earlier on and how that was a big game for them, how they got a lot to play for. Well, it's exactly the same for Leganes and Real Valladolid. Valladolid are four points clear of the drop zone at the moment, but they're not in great form in the last few weeks. Before the break, they really dropped off and and started picking up some poor results. is on the other hand, they're, I think they're three points from safety now. And so they really need to start picking up these results. And they've got a run of fixtures where they're playing a few teams in and around them and they want to kick it off by winning these games. And losing this first game could be a real blow, not just tactically or in terms of the table, but kind of mentally and psychological factor of losing that first big game against Bayern Lead. And they're two teams as well who, who like Athletic Athletic. They aren't the most prolific. I mean Riol Leeds top score of the CY lost six goals, and other than that, there's only one more than three goals. And Legan has lost in a lady and they've lost Braithwaite, So two teams who, who really build their game around kind of their work rate and they're very humble teams, but they do need to, to give their all.
0: What's what's your prediction on the score?
1: I'd be tempted to go for a, a 1-0 win for Leganes. I think they're a team who've got a lot of spirit and with Javier Gire in the dugout, is a, a coach who really knows how to motivate his players. And these two, three months without any action. I think I really have them up for the game and, and they will have been working hard in training and exactly how to exploit the gaps in, in Rio leads to defence. So I think they should be able to sneak it through and, and get a goal and see how the rest of the game.
0: Scott, do you uh, agree with that assessment or do you have a a different view?
2: Uh, I don't know. I I could see this one being a very scrappy draw. So, you know, we haven't seen a lot of the the bottom tier teams um, perform very well in the restart. Um, So the results in this one, I mean, it could be a toss-up. Okay. But I, I, I do think it'll be a very... Very scrappy performance from two very desperate teams.
0: Well, I'll I'll speak for Alex. I think his prediction is four four. Another uh, 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 is, is thriller. I've <laughs> gone from player to ultimate fan. Entertain me. That's exactly right. I'm bored and quarantine. <laughs> so um, so I'm really excited about the restart. You know, it seems like it's taken forever. And it seems like the last few days have been slower than the weeks before. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm going to put each of y'all on the spot here a bit. And, you know, what 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 are you most excited about seeing? Um, and Sam, I'll put you on the spot first. Uh, what would you like to kind of see out of the next few days here?
1: Well, I can't wait to see football <laughs> more than anything. <laughs> yeah. But then, no, I mean, I saw an interesting stat the other day, which was – but I think it's 98 days between the last match and the first match back for a few teams. And that's longer than eight of the last nine summer breaks. And so how these players kind of adjust to that and how quickly they can't speed will will be really important. I mean, we've looked at some of the fixtures already as we've gone through this podcast, looking at kind of how important it is that Leganes pick up points, how important the game the Seville Derby is. And so, I think when I mean, you're looking at such big fixtures being played with so much pressure and, and so much to play for, and the players really have to get up to speed quickly. So, I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of physical level they're at. And I think that'll be really intriguing to watch and from a tactical perspective to see how the coaches
0: kind of adjust their, their approach with that in mind. How about you, Scott? What's your take?
2: I'm interested to see how teams use their depth in the, the first two or three weeks. So, with the, the chaotic schedule, they have uh, to close out the season, I think everyone will have to lean on uh, some of the the lesser used players in these closing weeks. So do you see the big teams start to run away with the the results at the end? So, you know, if that's the case, that means these these first few results might have, uh, you know, huge implications for the way the season plays out. So I think the big teams Um, and even the teams in the relegation zone, uh, they, they do need to get some early results. They really can't afford to slip up and, um, it it remains to be seen just how the, uh, the schedule impacts rotation and, and, you know, therefore results. Alex. Right. So as
3: a student of the game, as a player, I am so excited to to see these 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 players perform live and, and see are they at the same level as before the break you know are they even fitter well, well rested you know it could have been great for them um in terms of, of performance but i'm just really excited to see you know their technical ability and specifically for myself on the defensive side of, of a Ramos pk and M- M- tt and, and try to emulate what's, what they've gotten out of uh, quarantine, and, and hopefully I can you know, emulate some of those um, movements or, or tactics when we hopefully get back on the field within the next month. Obviously, that's as a player. As a fan, I, I love watching the game, and La Liga in my opinion, one of the best, if not the best leagues in the world. So I'm just super, super excited uh, to see everyone back. And uh, hopefully I'll watch it in Spanish as well. I got to work on my Spanish.
0: Beautiful. I, I think I think my take is is I'm going to be really curious to see if, if the players are coming out at 120% or is it just kind of low energy, lower energy because of the crowd, right? And – We kind of got that sense in the Bundesliga, but the La Liga is different than the Bundesliga, um, I just think, on on many different levels. So I'm not sure we're gonna be able to apply what we've learned from the Bundesliga to La Liga. So that excites me. I will tell you, um, you know, the restart is happening days before the summer solstice, which means it's gonna be darn hot. And uh, it's gonna be fascinating to see folks who have been doing individual trainings uh, which have probably been well curated and, and and all that sort of thing on really having to find the red line and then go past that red line uh, with the high risk of soft tissue injuries. So I do think that those injuries are going to be a, a real joker um, when it comes to the standings. Um, and most importantly of all the leagues, there's still drama left, uh, right? You know, for most of the other leagues, We know who's going to be number one we've we have a decent idea who's going to make champions league versus europa and 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 the re and the relegation battles are dog fights everywhere it's always the case but i'm really going to be excited to see how things how the precogs or the storytellers or the video script whatever you want to call them things going to play out and that's just i'm i'm just so excited about that so um So I think that's a good place for us to wrap up today. Um, We'd like to thank Total Football Analysis. They are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. Please visit www.totalfootballanalysis.com. Join and support the revolution. For now, Bella Ciao, Bella Ciao, Ciao Ciao.